and thank you for choosing to watch this webinar which is about treatment of CKD and specifically what treatments beyond dietary management are likely to be helpful. This presentation was originally delivered yesterday at a live Zoom webinar for our cat cafe but unfortunately something went wrong with the live recording so I'm now recording this again today. So if you are listening to this having attended the live session that's why the wording, the content may, may be slightly different. Same slides, same ideas um, but recorded the day after. So last week's Cat Cafe, we talked a lot about why feeding a specially designed therapeutic renal diet was the most important thing that carers could do as part of management of their cat's kidney disease. So I am going to refer to this a couple of times in the presentation, but not talk in any detail about it because that's something we've already discussed. And the purpose of today's webinar is very much what other treatments might be helpful and one key message that I would like to get across is that the management that is optimal for one patient, let's say Morgan here on the left hand side, is going to be different than the management that is optimal for Gandalf or Jasper. Every cat needs to be treated individually and the treatments that are required will vary hugely from patient to patient. So what do we need to think about when we do consider management of kidney disease? Well, this is a little bit of shopping list of things that we're going to talk about. So starting with, is there an underlying cause that is causing ongoing kidney damage that we can find and we can treat? That's our number one priority. But we're also going to look at all of these other things. So firstly, can we do anything to slow the progression of the disease? We know kidney disease is a progressive problem, so anything we can do to slow that rate of progression is likely to be helpful. Next on the list is focusing on that individual patient and their specific clinical signs, what in a person you might call your symptoms. What are the things that are causing concern and how can we support those? Next on the list would be other complications of kidney disease that may be less visible but still having an impact on quality of life that we might wish to also address uh, with certain treatments. And lastly, of course, to be included in the discussion is how often is a checkup needed and what should that involve? So the first thing is really to make sure that to the best of our ability, we look for and address any underlying disease which is continuing to cause damage to the kidneys. And of course, we want to eliminate that to protect whatever kidney function is left behind. And there are a number of illnesses um, that we might find on these investigations, including infections of the kidneys, what we call pyelonephritis, a bacterial infection of the kidney. Also, some kidney tumours can respond to treatment. And the ultrasound image on the bottom left-hand side of this slide is from a cat with renal lymphoma. Lymphoma is a cancer of the white blood cells. And uh, whilst I unhelpfully, I'm afraid, didn't include a normal kidney ultrasound image for you to compare to, there is one very striking thing that can be noticed on this picture, which is that there is a length measurement, 7.3 centimetres. And this kidney is a little bit longer than that. As you can see, it's not fully included in that view. 
a normal length of a kidney is less than four and a half centimetres. So this kidney is about twice the normal size, which is obviously very abnormal. And in fact, in this cat, um, it had been brought into the clinic because its owner, when stroking the cat lying down, could feel some lumps. And the lumps turned out to be very enlarged kidneys due to this cancer, lymphoma, which had infiltrated the kidneys, made them much larger. Um, any clinicians looking at this or people who are familiar with looking at human ultrasound images will also be able to appreciate that the structure of the kidney is, is very disrupted. We've not got a nice outer cortex and inner medullary pyramids that we can see. It all looks much um, you know, much less clear cut, and this is due to that uh, cancer infiltrating the kidneys. But even though this is a cancer, actually it can respond very well to treatment. And in this particular example, uh, we were able to shrink the kidneys back to normal size, um, completely reverse all of the clinical signs with anti-cancer medication. And uh, some of these patients, some patients with renal lymphoma, actually will, will live for uh, a number of years following diagnosis in some situations. And that would be the equivalent of a person living probably for decades. So what I would view as a really good outcome in spite of having obviously a, a nasty disease. So any investigations that help us to understand as best as possible, is there an ongoing underlying disease process present in the cat that we can do something about are going to be helpful. So where possible, um, I think uh, follow your vet's recommendations regarding the need for further investigations. Next on our important list of things to consider is what can be done to slow the progression of the chronic kidney disease. And unfortunately, as I've already said, CKD is considered to be a progressive problem, a problem which will get worse with time. And that's partly because some of the compensatory mechanisms which are triggered in the body to try and, and cope with the kidney disease end up being uh, harmful in the long term. And one example of that is something we spent a lot of time discussing last week, which is this phenomenon called renal secondary hyperparathyroidism, whereby um, cats with kidney disease we know uh, firstly are vulnerable to phosphate retention. This is accumulating a substance called phosphate in the body because normally phosphate is excreted by the kidneys into the urine. And having that increased amount of phosphate present in the body triggers the body through the parathyroid hormone gland to produce more parathyroid hormone, which in the short term actually can help with phosphate excretion, but unfortunately in a cat with kidney disease can't keep up with the demands on it. So we get more and more parathyroid hormone being produced um, and still the phosphate is accumulating. And this Unfortunately, it's a very negative thing because it causes uh, or contributes to progression of kidney disease and other complications. So whilst it, it starts with the best of intentions, should we say, um, it uh, ends up with causing a lot of problems to our patients. And it's very well tackled by feeding a special therapeutic renal diet, which we talked about last week. The second um, maladaptive compensatory mechanism which is triggered in cats with kidney disease very frequently is activation of the RAS, which is the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, a system of hormones that um, are designed to help maintain what we call homeostasis, so everything being on an even keel, nice and stable. Um, and the RAS is activated 
partly in an attempt by the body, I shouldn't anthropomorphise, but it is the, the body's way of trying to support um, excretory function of the kidneys. And once you've lost a certain amount of kidney tissue, of course, the remaining kidney tissue, to a certain extent, has to work harder to keep up with the excretory function. And this happens uh, partly due to activation of the RAS, uh, which in a short-term situation would be would be a helpful thing, but because chronic kidney disease is a permanent situation, uh, it ends up actually being a harmful process to trigger in the long term and, and again contributes to progression of disease. There are ways that we can address that RAS activation using medications which suppress the RAS. Um, so that is something to just spend a few minutes on just now. And as clinicians at the moment, um, what we do is when we assess our patients is we try and determine if there are clues of RAS activation in that individual. And uh, the most helpful clue at the moment is looking for the amount of protein present in the urine sample and looking for uh, whether that, that amount has been increased, what we would call proteinuria, increased loss of protein in the, in the urine, because that is a marker of RAS activation. And the test that is recommended to assess proteinuria is one called the urine protein to creatinine ratio, the UPC, which corrects the amount of protein there for the amount of creatinine, in other words, how concentrated or dilute that urine sample is, and gives us a, a good critical number uh, to, on which to determine whether or not our patient is proteinuric. And I've put the IRIS, International Renal Interest Society, guidelines for interpretation of UPC results on this slide. So less than 0.2 considered normal, greater than 0.4 considered proteinuric, and between those two figures is a borderline proteinuria. In patients that have a very marked proteinuria, severe proteinuria, if you actually shake their urine, it becomes very frothy because of all the protein. Um, so that's uh, shown in that example on the right-hand side. Um, and next to it is a dipstick, which was a dipstick result, which was taken uh, using that urine sample. And you can see that the protein, um, which should be the same colour as the, the uh, um, is shown to the right of it, is very, very dark. That's a very strong positive reaction for the protein. Um, and th this is uh, um, helpful in terms of telling us we have a severe proteinuria, but in general, actually, dipsticks are not very reliable, particularly for the more subtle proteinuria that we often see in cats with kidney disease, hence preferring the UPC test. And also in, in severely affected cats, it gives you a number. So the number in the, the cat uh, urine sample on the right-hand side here was actually about five, which is really quite high. There are two groups of medications that can be effective in suppressing the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Uh, one group of medications uh, are called the ACE inhibitors, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, and that includes medications like benazoprol, which have been around for a long time. And these are drugs that uh, ideally stop production of angiotensin um, and thereby reduce that, uh, uh, suppress that RAS. A newer category of drugs on the vet market is the angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, and that includes uh, telmosartan, uh, which is Symintra. That's the only example on the vet market at the moment. And it works in a slightly different way by blocking the receptor to, or one of the receptors to which the angiotensin binds, and that way suppressing the bad impact of RAS activation. 
there have been some studies looking at both of these medications in cats with kidney disease and what has emerged with both of them is that cats with kidney disease receiving these treatments tend to have an improved quality of life um, and also a reduction in their proteinuria so confirmation that they are effective in suppressing the RAS but overall actually don't tend to necessarily live any longer, which is a benefit we all very much hoped to be able to see um, and is the case in proteinuric renal disease in people treated with these medications. There is some data to suggest that they help to stabilise the iris stage of kidney disease, so help to um, slow down progression from that perspective. Um, but the benefits have not been as dramatic as, as we would like. And the most significant benefits seem to be for those cats with the most severe proteinuria, UPC greater than one. <clears throat> I've got a number of slides in this presentation with this colour scheme and layout. And this is extracted from some consensus guidelines which are aimed at veterinary professionals but are free to download and you might find of interest to look at if you have a particular interest in CKD. And I've included a screenshot of the title of this paper here. So if you Google ISFM consensus guidelines CKD, you should be able to find these. And through this article, which was written by a panel of experts, um, for each possible medical intervention, possible medical treatment for CKD, um, the quality of evidence was presented in this sort of salmon pink coloured box um, with respect to uh, increasing lifespan and improving quality of life. And then the panel recommendations presented in the green box. Um, and I've tried to, to extract from this publication and, and abbreviate it slightly just to highlight the key findings. And what you can see for the RAS suppressing therapies in CKD is that <coughs> according to these guidelines there currently isn't any evidence that these will significantly increase lifespan. There is some evidence that quality of life is improved although that the, the um, quality of that evidence is considered quite poor, quite weak data. Therefore, this is an appropriate treatment, especially to consider in those cats that have evidence of RAS activation. So in particular, those cats with a UPC greater than 0.4, but only if they have stable kidney disease, they're not dehydrated because use of these medications in unstable patients can actually precipitate a crisis. So hence also the recommendation to monitor patients closely um, if they're receiving this medication and very much to prioritise treatments with proven benefits such as that therapeutic renal diet that we talked about so much last week. What about management of clinical signs associated with CKD? Well, this slide has a, a long list of um, some of the most frequently reported clinical signs from an owner perspective, also some a little bit more veterinary um, that require veterinary involvement to diagnose, like high blood pressure. And those in bold are things where there are treatments available to assist. So there aren't any treatments um, that are available to um, correct, if you like, the, the thirst and urination side of things because that kidney disease is permanent. Once it's occurred, it's not going to get better. Um, therefore, those are not in bold, but we can help with appetite. We can help with anti-sickness drugs, for example, um, and hopefully achieve some improvements in quality of life, um, but in some cases, length of life as well. And that, again, is the therapeutic renal diet in particular. 
So there are some symptomatic options available for support of cats that have particular problems with nausea and vomiting. Um, cats that are feeling nauseous um, may uh, drool saliva, they may um, sit and sort of gulp a little bit as if they're trying not to be sick. They may um, appear hungry, but then as soon as they see food, walk away from it. These might be some signs of nausea uh, as opposed to actual vomiting, which of course uh, you may well see uh, as well. And there is a licensed medication, a veterinary licensed medication. The active ingredient is called meropotent, which is very effective in terms of treating nausea and vomiting and, and a, a very um, common trade name of that that is Serenia. So you may have had some experience of, of your cat receiving that and it can be extremely helpful. Symptomatically there are also some other options that I've put on this slide that are not vet licensed. So these are typically licensed for use in people rather than animals but some of them in particular metazapine have actually been studied in a lot of detail in cats so there are um, pharmacokinetic studies you know that have told us what dose is safe for use in cats and also efficacy studies in terms of uh, both healthy cats but also cats with chronic kidney disease um, that have been able to show us that metazapine is often a very effective drug in terms of improving appetite and also reducing nausea and vomiting. So that is often a popular choice with vets. And in the UK, we can get hold of um, uh, uh, formulations from specials labs. These are um, labs that have a license from the government to be able to produce medications which are not um, officially licensed, but which uh, we feel um, as clinicians are, are helpful and we can use under very specific guidelines and uh, they are available in tablet formulation and also in transdermal formulation. So the transdermal is an ointment that you put on the skin, typically of the inside surface of the ear where there isn't much hair and they can be absorbed across that surface um, and have their effect. There is a licensed form of metazapine available in the United States called Miritaz. So if you're listening to this from the US, um, then you're very lucky in having a licensed formulation of Miritaz available to you. Um, and hopefully for, for those of us not in the United States, that will become available uh, in the future. So as far as the consensus guidelines go, what is the quality of evidence of metazapine and other symptomatic treatments as an intervention? Well, there's no data that uh, would support these prolonging lifespan, um, but the panel consensus was that quality of life was likely to be improved, particularly in symptomatic cats, and that therefore this is something that we should all be considering and managing, and metazapine is uh, a good recommended product uh, based on our, our current um, available options and uh, current knowledge. Dehydration is a common complication of chronic kidney disease. Cats with kidney disease are very vulnerable to this because they can't produce concentrated urine, so they're losing more fluid in their urine than is normal and therefore need to drink more to compensate for that loss. Um, and if they don't drink enough, um, then the consequence to the body when it's dehydrated is that that reduces blood flow to the kidneys and therefore the kidneys cannot do anything like their normal job and of course these are compromised kidneys anyway which means that all of the consequences of kidney disease get very much worse. 
So I think it's useful for all carers of cats with kidney disease to do what they can to encourage voluntary intake of water through offering multiple water bowls around the house, maybe making some flavoured water or broths, for example, um, that uh, if you um, have frozen prawns in your freezer, frozen cooked prawns, giving the cat the sort of prawn juice from uh, that packet um, or even liquidizing a few prawns in some water to make a sort of prawny juice. Um, that might be the sort of thing that tempts your cat um, to, to drink a bit more. Water fountains also can help in some cats. Um, and indeed there are lots of detailed guidelines on this topic in a, a free download on my website. If you go to the helpful info top menu and down to free downloads, you'll see one on encouraging your cat to drink more and there's also one on sub cutaneous fluid therapy in cats which talks through how to do this obviously under veterinary guidance and uh, supervision. Not every cat with kidney disease needs or will benefit from subcut fluids but those cats that are repeatedly vulnerable to dehydration um, are typically really good candidates for this and it can make a massive difference to ongoing quality of life and this is something that can be very easily done by a carer at home. Um, I showed this video in a previous uh, CKD Zoom session that we did. Um, this is Buff getting some fluids um, from his owners at home and demonstrating just how actually very straightforward this is. So he has a little needle um, put in the scruff. He's, uh, that needle is attached to what we call a giving set, which is tubing that goes to a drip bag. And he sits and has a little cuddle and a chat while the fluid goes in. And, and most cats receiving these subcut fluids will have some fluid every day, perhaps every other day to, to help support their fluid requirements. From the consensus panel perspective, there's no data that giving fluids to your cat um, is going to increase their lifespan. But for those cats that are affected by hydration issues, it's likely their quality of life will be improved by it. And supporting hydration is likely to be really important in terms of uh, slowing progression of disease. So I think it's something that we should all pay attention to according to the, the individual cat's requirements. Anemia, a lack of red blood cells, is another important complication to mention because this happens in between one-third and two-thirds of cats with chronic kidney disease. Um, often later on in their kidney disease, it's often sadly associated with a, a poor long-term outlook. And of course, if you haven't got very many red blood cells, it can make you feel quite weak, quite lethargic, quite sleepy. You may uh, not have as good an appetite um, and uh, therefore overall your quality of life is definitely going to be impacted. Cats with CKD become anemic for a number of reasons. Number one is that actually a hormone called erythropoietin, EPO, is produced by the kidneys and acts on the bone marrow to tell the bone marrow to produce red blood cells. If you have kidney disease, your ability to produce erythropoietin can be damaged. And so essentially you have a deficiency of this hormone. So your bone marrow is not getting the message to produce the red blood cells, which it should. But also red blood cells don't tend to live as long in cats with kidney disease because the environment is more toxic. There are other nasty substances that mean that the red blood cells don't survive as long. And some cats with kidney disease are also vulnerable to losing blood, uh, for example, from gastric ulcers, which can, can be seen in cats with CKD. So that also can contribute to anemia. 
anemia associated with CKD can be treated and can be treated very effectively. Uh, for some cats, iron supplementation is needed because they have become a bit iron deficient. Um, but um, for those cats with really severe anemia, the, the mainstay of treatment is actually giving a synthetic form of that erythropoietin. And I tend to use most often uh, darbopoietin, which is the syringe at the bottom, Aranesp, because that uh, firstly needs to be given less frequently than other forms of erythropoietin, such as the epigen uh, shown above it, um, once a week versus two or three times a week, and also is less likely to induce some of the side effects that we can sometimes see with these medications. So um, that tends to be the one that I use most often, and it can be very effective. Not every case, it's important to say, and as I've already mentioned, you can see side effects with this medication as well. So it is something to discuss very carefully with your vet if it looks like it, it may be helpful. Cats with kidney disease are vulnerable to constipation partly because they may be a bit dehydrated and that can have an impact obviously on their bowel in that the faeces may be very dry and harder to pass but also some treatments for CKD such as phosphate binders and iron supplements orally can actually contribute to constipation as well. But again, this is a treatable thing. Firstly, of course, if we try our best to maintain optimal hydration, that's going to provide optimal support to our cats um, in terms of, of every aspect, but including constipation. But secondly, there are some very good laxatives that are available um, and that can be helpful in cats. Um, my, my current favourite is polyethylene glycol, um, and there's a, a photo here of a veterinary version of that, which is available from a company called Bova. But uh, polyethylene glycol or PEG3350 is commonly used in many uh, laxative preparations for people. Um, so Macrogol, Movicol, uh, Miralax, for example, all have this within them. And uh, you may well have some experience of that. But the good thing about these in cats is that firstly, an osmotic laxative, which is a very safe sort of laxative, you can titrate it to effect. Um, and also being in the powder form, it seems quite innocuous and very well tolerated. And that's in contrast to the liquid osmotic uh, laxative uh, lactulose, which again, frequently used in human medicine, but in, in the cat world, it can be very helpful, but, but often not very popular. There are other treatments beyond these as well. That, um, so again, if this is an issue that your cat uh, is struggling with, then definitely discuss with your vet clinic. High blood pressure is an acknowledged complication of chronic kidney disease, affecting between 30 and 60% of our patients, so a really significant number. May is um, hypertension month, uh, the World Hypertension Day is on May the 17th, so I'm going to focus uh, in the rest of May on hypertension because I think this is a really important condition for cat owners to be aware of. Um, so I won't say too much today except for that we definitely see it in association with CKD and therefore screening for hypertension in any cat that's been diagnosed with CKD is very much recommended and, and if possible twice a year screening would be what I would recommend. Um, if your vet clinic doesn't have access to a blood pressure monitor, which sadly still is the case for some clinics, there still are uh, some things that you can do to assess for hypertension and I'll talk about those in the next series of, of Cat Cafe webinars. 
Managing hypertension in uh, cats with CKD, well, no evidence that this is going to prolong their life, but it is likely to improve quality of life if they are symptomatic as a result of their hypertension, and it is considered very important. In fact, in other species, including ourselves, hypertension does contribute to progression of disease, and whilst that's not been proven in cats, it could well be the case. So all in all, it very much is something that's important, in my opinion, to look for and treat where diagnosed. There are some other complications of a CKD that I'll, I'll finish off with um, and uh, some of these I'm not going to mention any more than is, is on this slide. So <clears throat> moving down to metabolic acidosis as that's one example of something uh, I'm not going to discuss in uh, uh, any more detail. This is where the blood becomes more acidic than it should be because of problems with kidney function and kidneys are very important in regulating normal blood acidity levels. If you can, again, feed a therapeutic renal diet, that really helps to protect your cat from metabolic acidosis. Also, hydration support very much helps to um, protect your cat from metabolic acidosis. There are other treatments beyond that for those cats that really need uh, more aggressive management of, of acidosis. And the other one I'm not going to say very much about is urinary tract infections. Cats with CKD, we know are more vulnerable to these, so it's worth keeping an eye out for signs of urinary tract infection in your cat at home, for example, passing bloody urine, visiting the litter tray frequently, uh, straining, difficulty passing urine, um, because uh, we know cats with CKD are more vulnerable to these. So if you see any clues of that, definitely contact your vets for further advice and uh, treatment. And if you can collect a urine sample from your cat at home, that will be really helpful as part of the diagnosis. Hypokalemia, I wanted to just mention in a bit more detail. Hypo means low, kalemia means blood potassium levels. And cats with kidney disease are vulnerable to having low blood potassium levels, uh, partly related to poor appetite because cats are very dependent on potassium in their food to maintain normal healthy levels of potassium. And partly uh, because if you have kidney disease, you're vulnerable to losing excessive potassium in the, uh, into your urine, from your kidneys into your urine. And hypokalemia probably affects about a quarter of our kidney disease patients. For most of these patients, the hypokalemia is relatively mild and manifested really just in a cat that's not quite right, a little bit depressed, a little bit lethargic, a little bit off their food, quite vague uh, symptoms. However, if severe, it can result in severe muscle weakness. <clears throat> and an example shown at the top of this slide where a cat cannot hold its head up because of that very severe muscle weakness. So that is rare, but certainly if you do see your cat being very weak or very floppy, uh, potassium levels are something to discuss with your vets. And as I've put at the bottom here, having low blood potassium levels actually has a negative impact on kidney function. So that's another reason we want to identify this problem and treat it. There are quite a lot of oral supplements available for potassium support, which uh, contain potassium gluconate um, and kidney diets, special uh, therapeutic diets are supplemented in potassium. So again, that's another reason to feed these because they help support potassium levels. If your cat's in the vet hospital and uh, needs to have intravenous fluids, we can supplement those with the uh, vials of potassium chloride, as shown at the bottom of the slide here. And also, if your cat has subcut fluids at home and has problems maintaining their potassium levels, we can add the same vials to their subcut fluids at home. So that, again, might be something that's useful for you to discuss uh, with your vet clinic. 
And if our patient does have low blood potassium levels and we're able to correct them, then that also often improves kidney function. So this picture I showed in a previous cat cafe session as well, a patient called Emma, you can see with this uh, really profound muscle weakness, she's trying desperately to indicate she's interested, her ears are moving around, but she can't lift her head up, she's being held up uh, because of very, very severe hypokalemia. But within a few days of supplementation, she's up and about. She's looking much happier. And the way to maintain a nice, healthy levels of potassium in the long term are, again, to feed that therapeutic renal diet, which has extra potassium and is non-acidifying. Um, and uh, where needed to supplement beyond there with some of the oral supplements we've mentioned typically or via subcut fluids if that's uh, part of the treatment. Managing potassium won't in all likelihood prolong lifespan, but it will improve quality of life and therefore uh, should be um, considered a, a really key part of management. Calcium is another blood salt which can be affected by kidney disease and also can cause kidney disease in that if we have hypercalcemia, which is increased levels of blood calcium, um, that actually can result in mineralisation of soft tissues, including the kidneys, and cause damage. And the x-ray picture on this slide shows a cat that has mineralisation of its trachea, the windpipe, which is the black tube going down the neck uh, and into the chest. Normally we can't see the boundaries of that black tube, but we can in this case because of mineralization due to hypercalcemia. Cats with kidney disease, calcium levels can go up and they can go down um, and uh, they, it can be important in individual patients to monitor levels, particularly um, if, if this has been identified as a concern. But it's, I would say it's an important thing to include on your panel if possible. And if you're concerned about total calcium levels, um, then measuring what's called the ionised or free calcium levels uh, can be uh, extremely helpful in terms of further defining uh, the problem problem. From a home monitoring perspective, um, as has been mentioned in some previous sessions, monitoring body weight can definitely be useful. Keeping a diary that records what your cat's being offered to eat, how much they're eating, how much they're drinking, how much they're passing in their litter tray, all these things where feasible to record are really helpful for your vet clinic to know. Um, but if you do have a multi-cat or multi-animal household, it just might not be possible to monitor all of these things. From a vet perspective, I like to, in the early stages following diagnosis, see patients with CKD relatively frequently, so once a month initially. And that relatively frequent checkup um, has uh, the aims, from my perspective, of firstly uh, trying to monitor, well, is this patient in, in a stable renal disease situation or is there evidence that this um, uh, renal disease is progressing quite rapidly? Also, how much support can I provide in terms of education, reassurance, advice to the carer regarding transitioning to the new diet, whether or not phosphate binders are needed, whether or other medications are needed. So often that first few months is the most intense and it's a learning curve experience for uh, the carers as well to really uh, understand this condition and uh, upskill themselves. And then you, the end result is that typically within quite a short period of time, uh, in my view, you have a really strong team, which is the veterinary clinician or the veterinary clinic 
and the carer, um, really titrating the recommendations um, to that specific individual cat to get the best possible outcome. And I have a book, Caring for a Cat with Chronic Kidney Disease, um, which hopefully will be a good support resource in addition to these webinars um, and that pre presents all of my advice and tips for long-term support of cats with kidney disease. In general, as a clinician, I recommend blood pressure checks are, are done at least twice a year, blood and urinalysis checks done every six to 12 months according to uh, the patient situation. Some cats are very, very stable for a long period of time and, and don't need uh, to have too frequent checks, whereas other cats, of course, will be having problems, uh, maybe new glitches emerge and uh, additional tests are needed. So the, the guidelines on here are, are very general, but, um, but hopefully of some use. As an absolute minimum, I would really want to have um, some uh, ability to keep in touch with owners of cats with CKD um, at least every three to four months, even for those cats that are very stable, to understand, well, how is the cat's weight and appetite? You know, how are things going? So that may be, um, particularly think of the current period we're in where there is a lockdown and you're not able to access the normal veterinary services. That could just be via email or phone saying, I've weighed my cat, uh, you know, every week or every month and this is their weight records and this is my um, news on how things are going from a, a food and drink perspective at home um, and that could be all that's needed to reassure me that everything's fine but of course uh, if there are any concerns then further tests might be indicated. So the key points really are I think attention to detail and individualised plans but overall, phosphate restriction through that therapeutic renal diet is the number one recommendation. RAS suppression may help to slow progression of disease, so is another consideration. And then beyond that, symptomatic support uh, based on the individual patient's needs, whether that's with appetite or vomiting or constipation or potassium. So just really looking as thoroughly as possible to make sure that uh, all um, avenues are being pursued as appropriate. Further support is available on my website and on some other sites that I've put here. Um, again, a reminder that I do offer a telephone referral service. Um, so if you are concerned that your cat with CKD or other medical issues um, is not doing as well as you would like them to do or you think they could do, um, this is a service that, that, that I do offer um, with the support of your local standard vet um, to really try and provide uh, extra insight uh, where that might be useful. The blog on CKD um, also links to all the useful resources on my website um, and uh, a screenshot on my website just to remind you about that if you've not already seen it. Uh, the Cat Cafe future sessions for May 2020 are going to be on hypertension, uh, high blood pressure which we mentioned briefly in this presentation. Um, after that we'll move on to lower urinary tract disease in cats and I, I very much hope that uh, you'll be able to join me at a future session. If you have suggestions for future sessions also feel free to email us info at vetprofessionals.com. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this webinar.